Our Old Testament scripture lesson comes out of the book of Malachi, Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, chapter 3, verses 6 to 12. It's on page 1490 in your uh, pew Bible. Hear the word of the Lord to us. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? You ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe to the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops and the, your vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Well, today I'm doing the second edition of my uh, sermon uh, on stewardship, yes, that's still stewardship time, but don't worry, this is the last Sunday for it, so. Blingonomics is the name of my uh, uh, sermon title. And uh, those of you who were here last week uh, realized I'm strange. Uh, it was the first, first time you realized that, but uh, one of my favorite, when I was in seminary, one of my favorite TV shows, this is gonna date me, because uh, it was a long time ago, was The A-Team and Mr. T was on the A-team, and I really liked Mr. T, and so I followed suit and started to buy a lot of bling, and um, that's why I call this sermon Blingonomics. And I, I, it, I, I got a minute, just hold on, hold on a minute. Well, that was good, right on top of the microphone. Coach Mack really wants this gold-plated uh, whistle. He's really hoping for that today. He may get it. And then, you know, I kept all of my wealth in my gold. And there's, I even have gold glasses, but they don't have the right kind of glass in there, but just so you'll see. I am styling. I just want you to know that I do know where to... But if I, if I wear those, I wouldn't be able to see anything as far as scripture goes. And Well, it would be a shorter sermon. You probably would like that. So laziness and a consumptive lifestyle and a lack of physical planning all can lead to stress fractures in the foundation of our financial tower. Today we're going to look at God's word to help us build a strong financial foundation. You know, all of us have our own blingonomics. You know, that personal management style when it comes to managing your own money. We have all kinds of people represented in this room. We've got the Macy shoppers represented here. 
We've got the Walmart shoppers represented here, thrift store shoppers represented in this room. We've got cash people only and we've got credit card people only. We've got big tipping people and we've got a pastor in this room. <laughs> no, really, I, I'm really okay in that category, at least right now. There are people who carefully balance their checkbook every month in this room. And then there are a lot of us who just kind of close our checkbook account about every two years and start all over again hoping we will keep it balanced. You, you know who you are. There are those who have stockbrokers, and there are those who just go broke just fine without stockbrokers. <laughs> We've got all kinds of people in this room, and no matter what our style is, I think Jesus has something to say to all of us today. Maybe for some of us, it's going to be a little bit painful. Last week, we took a look at a Wall Street guy who was very successful. And in the parable, Jesus didn't criticize him for his affluence. He criticized him for his arrogance. The guy tried to find meaning in his bling. Well, today we're going to look at uh, a more of a mini parable. Jesus raises the opposite concern from last week. Here he's talking about those who don't give enough attention to the management side of their bling to those who don't give enough planning to the management side of their wealth. Let me read you this very short parable to you. It's found in the book of Luke, chapter 14, starting at verse 28. And by the time you get to it, I'll have finished reading it. It's that short. Suppose one of you builds a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, Everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and wasn't able to finish. That's the parable. Jesus is using a little bit of humor here. Have you ever seen anybody that started a construction uh, project, you know, or maybe a remodel uh, that uh, goes really over budget and they can't finish it? They never asked how much it was going to cost and they get into it uh, and something that, that they realize they can't finish becomes like an eternal construction site. Jesus asks, if you want to build a tower, and don't we all want to build a tower, won't you first sit down before you build the foundation and won't you estimate what the cost of the tower is going to be? Often the answer to that question, though, is no. Many times in our lives, we build a foundation without estimating the cost and the costs that are out ahead before us. One day I was at home uh, quite a number of years ago when Oprah had her television show. I didn't see Oprah very often, but this day I saw her, and the title was Debt Diet. So I wanted to hear what they had to say. And a financial expert was working with a good-looking, highly educated, church-going, upper-middle-class couple who had an income of over $102,000 a year, and they lived in a beautiful home, and they drove five nice cars, so they were husband and wife and kids. 
but their consumer debt was well over $200,000. Now, on the outside, this couple looked like the picture of success. But when they got into it, you could see that there were some stress fractures going on in the foundation, the financial foundation of that home. And it was creating all kinds of of, uh, anxiety and tension in their lives. Now this couple, they're they're not alone. A Gallup poll found that 65% of couples argue over money. Now let's have a show of hands. How many of you agree with that? About 65% of you, okay. CBS News reported that more than one quarter of all baby boomers, I'm a baby boomer, so I paid attention to this, have less than $1,000 savings. The average young couple spends $1,600 more a year than they make. Let that sink in for your grandkids, or maybe some of your kids, maybe some of you. It's also reported that the average college student ends up with three credit cards carrying a balance of $8,000. Where do these stress fractures in our financial foundations come from? One thing that has to be mentioned is a lack of effort. It's just called plain old laziness. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, 19, he who works hard, he who works His land will have abundant food, but the one who chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. What what it's really saying in today's language is playing around brings poverty. Do you know people who just can't seem to keep a job? People who seem to depend on family members for support uh, while they're looking for a perfect job? My sister has a lot of kids that way up in Modesto. This reminds me of a wife who complained to her husband. She said, I'm ashamed of the way we live. My mother pays our rent. My aunt buys our groceries. My sister pays our utilities. I'm ashamed we can't do better than that. And the husband turned to her and said, well, you ought to be. You've got two uncles that don't send us a dime. In some cases, laziness is certainly a factor for creating stress in our financial foundations. Another cause of stress in these foundations is simply our consumptive lifestyles. Sometimes, on impulse, we make some very unwise purchases. Bling, you know, things that we think we just have to have. Somewhere in your home, many of you still have a treadmill that you just had to have, and it's not getting used. We had one in our household, and I must tell you, it was just perfect for me to lay out my next day's clothing on. It was perfect for that. It stopped working because of dust inside it, okay? One look at me, and you can tell that I didn't get on a treadmill very often. The Bible puts it this way, Proverbs 21.20 says, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. Translated, it says, stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. A consumptive lifestyle has at one time or another tempted every single one of us in this room. 
Many Americans are nostril deep in debt. How bad is it for you? I don't know, but you do. Do you know why we had our last country's financial meltdown? Well, yeah, there's a lot of reasons. But let me just give you some factors. The average American household was carrying $9,000 on their credit card. One bank revealed that 90% of the people who applied for home loans uh, from them had four credit cards. Three of them were maxed out to the limit. And 82% of the applicants had two car payments totaling over $600 a month. And 70% had reported having made late payments to their creditors. And 32% had overdrawn their checking accounts in the previous 90 days. And get this, according to this bank report, on average, it would have taken each of these families 16 years to pay off their consumer debt especially if they only paid the minimum balance. Friends, the result of all of this financial foolishness, of all these stress fractures, keeps you stuck in your future paying for your past. One other leading cause of financial stress is a lack of financial plan. According to the Wall Street Journal, 70% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. One poll revealed that 25% of Americans have their best chance to build wealth for retirement is not patiently saving or investing, but their plan is the lottery. Now, I just want to say this. For you who are planning to get wealthy that way and are playing the lottery, if you win, I will come and knock on your door for God's 10%. You just need to know that right up front. And the reason I say that is I was in the first year that the lottery happened in California, in uh, uh, the church I was in in Sacramento, one of the families hit the lottery for $32 million. Wow. And uh, the next day, we didn't know it at the time, next day they called all the staff in, all of the staff in, and here was this young couple, just goofy grins on their face. And then they tell us that they were lottery winners and that they're going to tithe to our church. We all high-fived, yes, right on. We're glad, 32 million, right on, yeah, all right. You figure out God's 10% on that. One leading cause of our final financial stress is really a lack of planning. Building wealth can happen by investing little bits at a time. It really can work. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. In other words, when you put a simple financial plan together, when you build your foundation right, you'll be able to build a tower, a success story in your life. There's one plan most of you know. I've talked about it last week. It's recommended by many Christian financial counselors. It's simply the 10-10-80 plan. You begin uh, by taking the first 10% of any income you get, any windfall, any inheritance, any lottery money, and you honor God by giving the first 10% to him. Now, the number 10, when you study, its meaning is very interesting it, it, uh, as a number biblically. Do you know what the number 10 means in the Bible? It means 
test. For instance, how many plagues were there in Egypt? Ten. Pharaoh was tested ten times. How many commandments are there? Ten. So how many ways is your obedience tested? Ten. How many times did God test Israel while they were wandering in the wilderness? How many times did God test Jacob's heart by allowing his wages to be changed when he was working for Laban? How many times was Daniel tested in the book of Daniel? In every case, the answer is 10. Jesus told a parable in Matthew uh, 25, 1 to 13, about 10 virgins that had their preparedness tested. They were like bridesmaids waiting for the bridegroom. In Revelation 2, 10, it mentions 10 days of testing. Something is scraping on this and it's driving me crazy. Throughout the Bible, the number 10 is associated with testing. And honoring God first represents a heart test of the Christ's follower. Now this principle is taught in many places. In the Bible, but most famous passages is the one in Malachi 3.10. I read it to you earlier, but I'm going to read part of it again to you. Bring the whole tithe, the first 10% of your earnings, into the storehouse. That's where you receive spiritual sustenance. That there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Every person I've ever known who is fully surrendered follower of Jesus Christ takes this very seriously. They give their tithe to the local church they are part of. In doing this, they acknowledge God is leader of their life and that they are forever grateful for the work that Jesus did on the blood-stained cross for them. They believe that God will keep his promise to be supernaturally involved in their finances as they are fully surrendered to his will. Next in this plan, you take the second 10% and you pay yourself. Now, don't you like the sound of that? Before you head to the mall or book a trip to Disney World, before you buy whatever it is, you set 10% of your income aside in a long-range investment of some type for yourself. Proverbs 13.11 says, Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. The beauty of God's plan is that you don't have to make a lot of money in order to accumulate a lot of money because when you save it little by little, it grows. Some of you aren't sure if you believe this, I know. But if you just save $2.75 a day, $2.75 a day, that's like Starbucks money. And if you're 25 and if you're uh, were there to invest that in any type of mutual fund, uh, given its historic performance, you know that you would ha have, by the time you were 65 years old, a million dollars. Little by little, it grows. The 10-10-80 plan says that if you want to be a towering financial success story, you honor God with the first 10%. That's a test to see if you're putting God first. Then you pay yourself with the second 10%. And then, now this is the hard part, you live on the 80%. But you live joyfully on the rest of it. How do we do it? 
My first suggestion is make, first of all, make the decision that you're going to stop bleeding. The financial bleeding and, 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 and make that decision right now. People tell me that they want to get out of debt, but they're unwilling to change anything about their lifestyle. They uh, still eat out at the same restaurants. They still spend freely on entertainment and vacations and spa treatments and they buy new clothes and they even uh, continue to borrow more money. But if you're financially uh, challenging, if you're in a financially challenging situation right now, stop the bleeding today. Don't go any further into debt. If you can't pay off your credit cards when the bill comes at the end of the month, go home and in, from here today and invite some of your friends over tonight and throw a little party. Preheat the oven to 450 degrees and take out an old cookie sheet and spread out all those little plastic cards on it and stick it in the oven. And then all of you join hands and sing Kumbaya and celebrate the new freedom that you have because you're free at last. Thank God Almighty, you're free at last from your credit cards. And it's the only way you're not going to use them is if you melt them down. The second, secondly, we need to learn to live on less. That's the hard part. That may make you hyperventilate right now, but I, I need to say it. Your two biggest items in your budget uh, are where some of us make the biggest financial blunders. Housing and automobiles. Do you need to downsize? These two expenses can overwhelm us. Some of you say you could never cut back on these. There's a word for uh, what that car or that place you live in has become in your life. It's called an idol. Suggestion three. Don't purchase items when they're not on sale. It's just as simple as that. Now hear me, there's a way that you can increase your discretionary income between 15 and 25% in the next month. No, I didn't say two months, not 15 years from now, but in the next month, if this would be true, wouldn't you jump at it? Okay, here it is. Use a money tracker. Write down every expense, every dime that goes out of your hands over the course of a month. And by doing that for a month, just tracking it, people typically reduce their discretionary spending by 15 to 25%. It's just so revealing to you when you do this. Let me challenge you to track your spending for a month. It really will make a difference. Now, before I close, there are three questions I have to ask those of you who are serious about getting a hold of your finances. First question, am I trusting God as the owner of my bling? I mean, are you really trusting him? We talk about our stuff, our bling, our house, my money, my car. But in God's perspective, we don't own a thing. We're just managers of it. Everything we have comes from God, belongs to God, and is distributed to us by God. A few verses after our parable, Jesus says, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. It all belongs to him. Give it up to him and let him manage it. Second question is, am I robbing God? Have you ever had anything stolen from you? Malachi 3.8 says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, 
How are we robbing you in tithes and in offerings? God says, would you really rob me? All I've ever done for you is to give and give, and I'm willing to give even more to you. But I'm going to give you a test. What will you give back to me? What will you set apart for long-term wealth? And how are you living on the rest of it? And the third question and final Will I take action right now? There are many people around you right now who have had great debt and stress fractures in their financial foundations. And they discovered the 10-10-80 plan and, it, and started honoring God and are experiencing blessing in their lives today. What will you do? What will you do? Now, my son and I were talking. You know, he's in a church in uh, Chula Vista and by the way is going to be here and preach next Sunday here and I asked him to come and preach next Sunday because you need to see what a 30 something year old preacher looks like and preaches like because you have to decide down the road if you want a 30 something or a 40 something or a 50 something or well you don't want usually anything over 50 let me just say that to you. So he's going to come. So he and I were talking about stewardship. I said, well, John, what do you guys do? He says, we don't do anything. I said, why not? How are you going to help your people learn how to be obedient to God? He says, we just tell people to give. He says, they give. Right now, their church is smaller than our church. And he ends up with $50,000 in excess at the end of the year. And so I almost decided not to preach this sermon and just let him talk next week, but I decided I'd better do it because I really believe we need to be trained in how to be stewards of what God has given to us. So come next week, I, have, I told him to dress like he dresses when he preaches at his church. He says, Dad, I... I, uh, I don't wear shoes. I said, preach in your bare feet. Let them see it. They're, they need to be able to see that, what a 30-something preaches in. Dad, I, I, I don't wear a three-piece suit. I said, you know me, I don't either. And I said, just wear what you normally wear. Because they've got to see, because you've got to decide. We're looking now at the time for the future as to what kind of a pastor you want. Do you want a pastor with kids? Do you want a pastor that's kids are gone? It's time to see. And then you will know. Now, now don't start a campaign immediately saying, we don't like that kind of a young guy. Uh, just realize he's in his church and he's happy there and he won't come here. I, I just want you to know that. He, he's happy where he is and um, I'm happy for him. Let's pray. Almighty God, even at this point in our walk with you, we need to learn about how to be faithful stewards of our finances, that you're calling us to be people that, that love you and are obedient to you, and that's what we want to be, Lord. 
So speak to our hearts. Lord, we're in our stewardship campaign, and you know where we are, and, and pledge cards are out. And Lord, uh, that you would um, help us, because we really do want to call a full-time pastor. And it's going to take a little bit more from us. Show us, lead us as to what we're to give. Not only of our money, Lord, but of our time and our energy and the love that we have to give to other people that we meet, that we live next door to. Show us how to be your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.